0: All right, guys, we're back for another episode of the Equipped Indoor Podcast, episode five zero three, with your host Adam Francis, Dan Eastland, who's heavy breathing, and Robert Oliver. The
1: heavy breathing was
0: actually that me was this not time. me. Was it you? <clears throat> yeah. Are you smoking? Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's I okay. You owe me something, Adam. No, I don't. <laughs> 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 I think you have a I think that you have a a debt of insults that I need to throw you away for about two two and a half years, and then we'll be good. It won't be even.
1: Ah, insults, allegations. Look, if you can't, if you can't can get, get ahead, if you can't get ahead, there's no point in even trying to get even. That's true. That's true. Who it wants even? I should just, I should just stop.
0: I should quit while I'm ahead. So, <laughs> any anyway, guys, we're back for their episode. Of course, it took last week off. Because, you know, it was, it was, you know, the second week of the month, so Dan was on vacation. And, uh, but this, this time it wasn't to the beach or, you know, it, oh know, oh, research, Dan was off researching, you know, you, you, my friend have probably the best, you know, honey, let's go to, let's go to Argentina because I need to research some knives. So anyway, I'm just joking. You did go to Argentina, you did a lot of research and we're going to be talking about that in the show. So you're back. Welcome
2: back to the States. was your trip, was your traveling
0: good? Dan?
2: Uh, it was pretty good. No issues? Um, you know, Pleasantly uneventful. That's good. That's good. None. Well, the, Beth had a little credit with uh, – a little hassle with uh, uh, passport and immigration, but we worked it out.
0: <laughs> and uh, then, Robbie, what have you been up to? Uh, mastering the heat. I can sweat better than anyone. I'll tell you. I've heard that it's uh, very hot down there right now. I'm not down there, but my wife is. So uh, yeah, I'm glad that I'm not down in North
1: Carolina. When you have those 98 degree days with 90 percent humidity, man, it, it, it's you know you swim through the air.
0: I I think that it's a new rule for me in general that I'm just going to stay out of places like that uh, during those seasons because there's oh. really there's really nothing there's nothing that is so incentivizing that makes me go. You know where I want to go? The South in the summer. I mean, like, Blade Show, we were very fortunate this year. I and mean, I think we were talking about that, Dan. It was sundresses. Nice. Yeah, well, you know what? I just, I don't fit my sundresses anymore, so that's, that's going to be a problem. Um, but, uh, it was, it was nice and mild when we were down there in yeah. June. Um, there wasn't a problem. There wasn't a problem then. But, yeah, man, I, I, I can't do
2: it. just can't do it. Call me, call me what you want. Um, I, w- yes. I went out a couple got days born ago. It, or you get it you just can't handle it. It's like winters up
0: here. Yeah, the winters I don't have a problem with, man. I can do those all day long. And don't get me wrong, I get tired of them as well. But what were you saying, Robbie?
1: Oh, I went out to work one of the dogs the other day,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, when I pulled the sleeve out, the dog just looked at me and said, really?
0: Yeah. We have been very fortunate. We've had amazing weather up here. I mean, really cool summer um we've had a lot of rain too Uh, it's it's we're it's funny i keep on making a joke we're getting this the southern california weather you know the nice mild mid 70 days um but we're actually getting all the rain that they they should have out out west you know why
1: right why's that well because that weather's got to go somewhere and california's going to fall off the map when that that fault line busts up so yeah all the earth
0: is nice and dry too so i don't know if that has any effect but it sound it sounds like it does. <laughs> so, um, and anything else going on, Robbie? You getting used to the new uh, the new house? Oh, digging it, man,
1: digging it. That's awesome! I can't wait to come down and visit you. A lot in, easier to a lot easier to work dogs. I uh, I had a guy over a few days ago with his Rottweiler and uh, had fun. And I uh, think I'm gonna start doing a once a month. Uh, uh, friends and family and associates uh, dog meet up here. We just, you know, bring your dog and come on and let's everybody help out everybody and yeah, you know, let's train some dogs. Sounds cool. I would be. I wouldn't mind coming down to that. Good. I'll put you to work. You can oh. help train people's dogs.
0: All right. Well, you know, you know, I haven't done that in a while. That'd be fun. And I'll bring you Ivy so she can, uh, she can join the festivities.
1: We can. I say her. Adam's
0: decoy first. Yeah,
1: we. Oh, we I, high, I
0: like being decoy.
1: Tie uh, Ivy to a tree and beat her with barbed wire so she can be happy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Demon. She is a little bikini yeah. diabla. Um, she's been doing here. She's been doing pretty well here. I, I'll tell you guys. I've uh, there's some changes coming coming to my life here recently. Um, one thing is is that my work schedule has kind of changed, so I'm spending um half the time at another place and then half the time here and Frederick so I'm bringing the dogs with me every once in a while and this last week my wife has actually been in North Carolina with with her her uh, parents and so I've been here doing the bachelor thing for like seven days and but anyway the cool part of it is is that even though it sucks that I'm not going home every night uh, it is more local so it's less driving for me so I'm saving about an hour and a half two hours of traveling time a day but I have a better facility to do go out there and test some some videos. I am closer to some outdoor adventuring. So uh, that that's going that's going to be pretty awesome. And I talked to you already Robbie. I'm working on a little semi-permanent camp um, that is, you know, right outside. So I don't have to, you know, hack everything up and and do a couple, you know, hour and a half whatever hike to get out to whatever I want to do. And so I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually pretty excited. I was out there yesterday when we were talking setting up some shelters and uh we will have some some better filming and then the the best part of it is uh cameraman mark will be uh, he'll be a roommate of mine for that time he'll be standing there full time i'll be there part time and so that means I'll have a uh cameraman out there to help me not only film stuff but help me edit some videos to get some better videos out to the people so I'm excited man we're gonna get back on the on the ball and really focused on specific e two e stuff
1: See, so now you, you say permanent camp, and I think, oh, Adam has a place to film, and when I come, I have a place to sleep.
2: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I was thinking maybe I could come down uh, when you start working on the camp because uh, there's some woodworking joints that are really handy for primitive structures, mm-hmm. you know, lap joints and pinning techniques and that sort of th- thing.
0: Well, we have a half an acre to do whatever we want to do, um and uh, I think it's going to be good. I'm so excited. I am too. We're working on, actually. We're, yeah, Mark, uh, he 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 wants to take it you and know, take out some of his masonry skills and actually build a permanent fire pit. Um, one thing that's actually pretty cool. This this is not uh, bushcrafty or fieldcrafty at all. He's got a big piece of concrete pipe uh, that they have. You know, his dad does some excavation, and so he's going to use that as a fire ring. And he's gonna build up around it with with some rocks and like actually you know get some you know, uh, get some you know um, you know some mortar and everything and actually make a, a proper fire pit. But the inside of it will be probably a, a two inch thick piece of concrete.
1: Circle. How big are we talking here? Big enough we can put like a whole hog or or a goat in. Um,
0: that- probably the let's see the diameter. I don't know about a foot. No, no, more than that. The radius is about a foot, right? Yeah. radius is about a yeah, foot. Yeah, so it would be
2: about a two-foot diameter. Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. Because I'm thinking we need to make a few phone calls to Chef Moss. Uh, get uh, – he just got some great advice on how to lay out fire pits for cooking.
0: Well, I want to get – I do want to get some some steel grates to uh, throw on there so we can use it, throw it on the grill, but I also want to get some uh, iron – Holes out there that we can have some swing arms on there for some other stuff. So it, it's going to be good, man. I'm I'm excited. I'm really excited. The only, I just got to I got to make sure I, I do I do come home on days when I'm off and don't stay up there all the time. So you know the the wife has already made some jokes about that. So I, actually we were we are up there like cleaning up the place that we're we're moving into, and uh, we made a joke about our trial separation. To my in front of my buddy, and he got all all quiet, like we were being serious. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and he walk he walks away, and later he's like, "Hey,
2: is everything all right?" He's
0: like, "Yeah, dude, we're just joking." he's like, "I thought so, but the, just the way you guys said it, it was it was uh, I you think know. it's you
2: sometimes. Go ahead. Sometimes you and you and Robbie go at it, and I can't tell if you're joking or not.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then
2: there's what? a couple of times that I've hung around, and Pam have said something, and uh, we'll go back to the room, and Beth's like, "Is everything okay?"
0: Oh yeah, we do that stuff all the time, man. That's like, it's funny. We used to, um, like, I don't know, when we were younger, we used to just do kind of practical jokes on stuff like that and, like, just just, just be goofy like that. And people are like, oh my gosh. Like, no, we're just joking. We're totally joking, you know? So, Dan,
1: you
2: should we take that as a
0: compliment. Ethics.
2: So, uh, I, yeah, yeah. I do that. They're comfortable enough around us that they'll mess Ex- with us like exactly that. Exactly right. When, <laughs> they
1: get, when they get that comfortable around you, you, you
2: your family. So, I, well, I still need some hand signals or something just to let me know when they're kidding. Well, you
0: know, Pam, Pam and I are both big jokers, so you know you can't really take everything that we say serious and stuff like that. But we'll get you going sometimes. But I guess that means that we're doing a good job if, if we have you guessing yourself sometimes, Dan. Yeah.
2: I've never seen someone so proud of being good at being bad.
1: Well, you know, it's not bad. It's just entertaining. <laughs> There's a difference. Yeah, they both knew it didn't hurt them at all. Yeah, we went back and laughed they're about
0: fine. it. So anyway, um, but it's funny. This last week, I've been doing kind of the bachelor thing, and there's some there's a calm serenity about living by yourself
1: that I kind of forgot. And it, it's you, you there's get, a calm serenity about not having three kids. Who would have guessed? No, that? no, it's not it's not yeah, the, wow. it's not the kids thing Shocking. because
0: because my because of my schedule. You know, I'm working nights. You know, the kids are by the time I wake up and everything, the kids are gone. They're at school, and when I get home, they're sleeping. So there's a long time that I only have a small window where I can, you know, that I get to see my my kids, which kind of sucks, but that's just, you know, the the job that I have. Um, But I'm talking about, you know, there's nobody here. You don't have, you don't talk at all. You just kind of, you're on autopilot with the things that you have to do. And I find myself keeping myself busy, but it's, it's like, instead of doing tasks that you would normally have a set time for, like, you know, we always do all the, the housework on Saturdays and we do this on this day and we prep food on this day. It's like, you just do things immediately. You know, so I get home, you know, before I get home, take off, you know, take all my clothes, throw them in the washing machine, take all my, my dishes and from, from work and everything, wash the dishes, get everything, take care of the dogs, then go to bed. And then you get up and, you know, dry all the clothes, fold them all up, put them away, prep your food, your meals and everything. And you just going to get these little tasks done immediately and it's it's uh, it's uh almost like, you know, meditating. It's just like getting stuff done and, and uh, not really getting in conversation and not really getting distracted by other people. Not in a bad way. And it's not that I prefer it. It's just something that I forgot since I haven't lived alone for a while.
1: So, Adam, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of went through a similar time when uh, the wife and I were uh, in the process. Trial, getting, trial separation? Yeah, when we were in the process of getting this new house. So I have to ask, you find yourself sometimes talking to the dogs as if they were a person yeah well i do that anyway so right.
0: that's nothing new but yeah that is that is true
2: yeah, but were you expecting them to answer you they do answer
0: me, you I, was gonna answer me. Say I know mine
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they just
1: answer me with dumbass looks
0: <laughs> so much they, like your wife they yeah.
1: give you that yeah. yeah it's just the same because just like the wife the dog tilts his head looks at you like you're an idiot and then walks off yeah, yeah yes. pretty much same thing as the wife does
0: I will tell you that I, I do think that this this uh, change has been good for the dogs because they're traveling with me a lot more and we're we're doing other stuff like, you know, I'm, I'm fixing to go downtown after we're done recording this podcast. My laptop broke. That's another story. And uh, so Wait, you know, technical
2: difficulties on this podcast. Well, no, it
0: wasn't. You know, it was. It's funny, man. I, I, a buddy of mine. Um, he had a, a show that he was doing. He has he a, a YouTube channel and everything. So. I went down to I went down to help him last weekend do some recording and and do some editing just because he needed some help, and he's my best friend. I've known him since we were like you know ten years old or something ridiculous, and um, so he doesn't have the equipment that I have, and so it was kind of a cool thing because I can use my camera and I can use my editing software and yada yada yada, but he does have a, a, a streak of bad luck with anything electronics, and so um, we were processing probably sixty minutes of, of video. And I was getting it edited, and I was going to upload it to, to YouTube to his YouTube account, so he can download it and, and edit, make any edit changes he wants. And right in the middle of it, my laptop uh, logic board goes out. Um, and and uh, but here's the difference with the Mac. Um, that that computer I bought in 2010 or 2011, I can't recall, and it is still covered under the warrant Apple's warranty. So when I took it back to I took it to a a, a Mac store. Uh, that, that, yeah, I don't have to pay for anything. That's the difference. Hey, Adam, yeah.
1: Speaking of that, that friend of yours, mm-hmm. uh, I haven't seen one. Is he going to do a review of Ant Man or what?
0: Yeah, here, uh, you know, I don't
1: know. I don't know. I forgot to ask him about that. Yeah, normally within just you know forty-eight hours, three days usually, there's a review. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen a review of that movie from him yet.
0: Yeah, I will I have to check on that. He did some stuff that that is so funny, man. Gosh, he's so funny. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, so my laptop broke, and then before I left, Ace got definitely ill, and was throwing up and had diarrhea. And let me tell you, buddy, I was I was scared because I mean he's getting older. I mean he's seven years old. Oh, you heard me talking about you? You can come over here and see me. All right, go. And so uh, took him to the vet. He hadn't eaten anything for two days. Um, I mean, he was like dry heaving and he, he, he threw up in his crate, uh, which we, which we didn't, we never put him in the crate and like, he wasn't feeling well. I was like, you know, let me put him on his crate. We get back home at 10 o'clock and there's just throw up everywhere in his crate. And he just rolled around. He's like, he, he's trying to stay away from it, you know, but it, 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 he couldn't help it. You know, he's like rolled around in it. He's like backing up from the, in the the corner of the crate and I felt bad for him I had to take him outside and hose it down. That's so next nasty. I know. And then he, and then the next day that night he threw up in the, in the spare bedroom down here. So we got to get the carpet steam cleaned. So I take him to the vet and, um, they take blood from him and his blood was like super thick and like, they're like, wow, he is, this is crazy. And, uh, they're, they're trying to check him out. And I even took him out there to, to the bathroom. I'm like, well, like, listen, you cannot leave with him yet. You got to stay here and wait for the blood, the blood work. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I, didn't, I don't feel comfortable letting him go home with you until I know what's going on. So I'm like, oh, man, this is – you know." so I go walk him for 40 minutes, and I'm like, this dog, he's tired as hell, man. He doesn't want to walk for 40 minutes, so I walked him around. He's trying to go to the bathroom, couldn't get anything out, so I went and just got in the car, let him lay down. And like 20 minutes later, the, a tech, the vet comes out and knocks on my window. is like, you can come back in now. And I was like, already the, the results are like, Yeah, just just sir, please come in. And just the way he was like really somber and I was like, Oh my god, this guy's gonna come and tell me that he's gonna put my dog down. So I come back in there and uh the doctor is uh he's like, Yeah, we got we got his penals back, the white blood cells are out of whack and I was like, Oh I was like, Oh my god, he's got cancer. He's like, Oh no, 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 everything else is fine. He's just he just got a back, he's got some kind of bacterial infection or some kind of infection. I'm like, Oh, Jesus, man, with theatrics <laughs> and I'm and so instantly, you know. Okay, whatever.
2: Are, are you happy, just, or are you going to kill somebody? Yeah, yeah. just
1: lead with that next time.
0: How? About I know, man. I was, I was, it was, it was bad. So they ended up giving him an IV. They gave him four hundred CCs of fluid. And I will tell you guys, if you ever have a dog and 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 you go and do do this kind of stuff, it is a little bit nerve wracking because they have an IV bag hanging there in the middle of the doctor's office, and your dog's kind of walking around with this thing strapped to his back, and they get it right between his shoulder blades, so he can't dig at it. But they gave him so much fluid, his body doesn't absorb it right away. So he has this giant humpback. It looks like he's got a, you know, his heckles are up, but it's huge. And, and I'm, like, yeah. I'm like looking at the tech. I'm like, uh that doesn't look like it's absorbed. Like, yeah, it takes it takes a little time. He'll he'll look a little funny. And don't press that area when you take it home because it might leak a little bit. I'm like, oh my god.
2: <laughs> they also tend to not like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. He wasn't he wasn't happy. And of course, you know, you always experience the the, the kind of big dog. The big dog prejudices, I, t- I I say, and everybody's acting all scared of him. Um, and he isn't showing any aggression. He's just as happy as can be. Everybody comes up, he runs up and slams into him, and you know sits down and wants to get loved by him. And they're like, "Can we? Do uh, we just please put him on a put a muzzle on him?" And I'm like, I'm "Like, yeah. I'm like that's fine, but I mean, that's just going ag- to agitate the situation. I mean, I got him. He's not going to do anything. So like
2: the vet wanted to put a muzzle on him.
0: Yeah, yeah." <clears throat> So, uh, this must be a different vet than the one I went to. We it, oh yeah. This is the one, this vet, that is in new market. The one in Waynesboro was awesome.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a city vet.
0: Uh, this is actually not in the city at all. The, the other, the other vet in Waynesboro was more of a city vet than this.
2: Oh wow. Um,
1: but she had plenty of experience with working dogs.
0: Yeah. Uh, she,
1: she, I mean, she'd put her hand in Ace's mouth. She didn't care. Yeah. No. Yeah. So funny enough, if
0: you, if you shove your hand far enough back there, they can't bite you. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the only problem with that vet that I had one time is you had, you had that one girl, you remember Robbie, cause you were there when we were getting the shots before we took a flight and she was just acting all kind of stupid with him. Um, pretty thing, but she was not, she was not, uh, very well educated with, with being around dogs Can tell you that much. And this vet, I actually been, this is the vet that, that I went to here recently, um, that I kind of grew up using for our pets at home. Cause this is in my you know, area where I went to high school and, and everything. But I believe that the, the original doctor sold the practices because it was a, it was two ladies that owned it. And the new, the new vet is a, is a, a gentleman. Um, and he is young. Uh, and no, that's,
1: that's unfortunate. Well, yeah, it it <laughs> is
0: unfortunate, but it's funny cause I, you know, there's some things that I know from my dog experiences and, and whatnot. And, like, it, it's, you know, like, for example, I know that German shepherds don't eat corn. You know, they d- just don't feed your German shepherds corn for whatever reason. And I've seen I've seen the effects of it, you know, when I feed him corn. And so, you know, he wants to give give some, you know, some very mild food. He's like, well, I don't feed him corn. He's like, why? There's nothing wrong with corn. And I'm like, listen, man, I, I know, you know, you might generally think there's nothing wrong with corn and you're a doctor and, and I respect that and everything. But I've had this dog for seven years, and I've seen the effect of him. If I feed him certain foods, or don't feed him certain foods, you know. And you know, I, I realize I'm going to disagree with your assessment because I believe that you know, you, you guys don't really focus on the best the best diet for performant for performing animals. It's just like it's just like junk food. You don't feed it. athletes don't eat junk food when they're training. And that's not going to help him unless, you know, a, simple, simple, car, simple carbohydrates. Okay. I, I, after, after a workout. Okay. Robbie.
1: I'm a, I'm a inter- I'm going to disagree with you doc, because it's not wow. your carpet he's going to be living on. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, that's another, that's another key point.
1: So anyway, um, that was
0: a, a good four or 500 bucks. Um, it's for some change. And then I get home shortly after the vet and, and the laptop, the, the the laptop blows up. I didn't have to pay for the logic drive, but I am getting that solid-state hard drive, Robbie, um, for, awesome. for the, the lap, laptop, so it should be smoking again. Um, yeah, you, you will definitely appreciate that. Yeah, well, I, I will tell you guys, anybody out there who's looking to do video editing, <clears throat> the biggest problem that I've had is that I've filled up... I had one 500-gig hard drive on my laptop when I first bought it. I put, I put 16 gigs of RAM on it, so it's fast. The problem is, is that... If you do 10 minutes of video, though, that's a gig. And when you load it up to, like, Final Cut Pro, well, Final Cut Pro is making a copy of that, you know, so that's 2 gigs. And it might be processing it at a, higher, at a higher resolution, so it might turn into 10 gigs. Well, you know, you throw five or six, you know, uh, videos or on there at one time, or if you go to, to Blade Show or Shot Show or something like that, and you're uploading 30, 40 clips, you will fill up your hard drive pretty fast. And unfortunately... Um, Final Cut Pro is an excellent program. It really renders stuff quickly, but it does make several copies on there that fill up and you know back files you gotta go manually erase some of that stuff and, and really watch that. But when you erase something on a hard drive, you actually just you're just removing the, the pointer, you know, the file that points to where it's on the space. It's not technically being erased until something goes goes over it. And that's why you when you format something, when you format something, you're actually going over it with nothing. You're actually covering it up think of it think of it as a as a room you've painted a mural on and you're going there and you're and you're uh, reapplying paint when you just erase the link you're just kind of turning the light off on it you can't find it in the room that part of the start but it's still there well if you if you have filled up that hard drive over and over again you're you know you're causing additional wear and a lot of um, you know uh, use on that that most normal computers don't use you might have one computer with a terabyte hard drive that you use for just documents and stuff, very small stuff, and you'll never fill it up and you'll never erase it all and whatever. So anyway, the, 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 the long and the short of it is it, it does a lot of wear on that computer and you have a lot more problems on it. So going to the solid state hard drive will make it a little bit faster. It'll, it'll boot up faster and uh, hopefully it'll, I'll get a little bit more life out of it because I probably every other week I fill up that terabyte hard drive and I have to go in there and manually delete all of these copied files throughout Final Cut Pro X, um, so I can actually use my computer. So, and that's a little off subject guys, but I know, I know there's some guys out there that always have, uh, computer questions and, and video editing questions, uh, in regards to making video. So that's pretty much, uh, all that's going on with me guys.
2: Cool. Well, so That covers the IT corner of, uh, the E2E podcast. <laughs> yeah. 20 how minutes later.
1: Our, how about our word from our sponsors?
0: Yeah,
2: there you go.
1: Dan, do you want to have the
0: honors for this, this, uh, this time
2: uh today's podcast will um all right i'm going to send the check tomorrow so today's podcast will be brought to you by dogwood custom knives dogwood custom knives what was the rest that you usually say (laughs) uh dealers at (laughs) oh yeah dealers at uh edgeworks and uh arizona custom knives yep there
0: you go see that wasn't that hard Dan. And then also Live Fire Gear LLC. I am actually proud to, uh, you know, announce a new uh, product that we're going to be selling. Uh, you guys will see it at some dealers and distributors here first before you see it on the e2e, 2 e website on the Live Fire website. And it's a new product called a Ring o Fire, and you know, it's you know, awesome, awesome name.
2: Um, yeah. But you actually, you can tell Eleanor's in the office with me today because I didn't say anything inappropriate. <laughs>
0: Well it's uh it's pretty cool. It, it comes with a twenty five foot of uh, fire cord and a circle in the middle. You have a fire steel and a live fire original. So it's a little combi pack of uh, our products cool. at Live Fire Gear. Um so it, it, it you know actually uh Roger came up with the name and me being a Johnny Cash fan, I was like, Well heck yeah, we gotta make that. Uh that, that that's awesome. So you any guys... chance
2: uh any be available for the by the twenty second?
0: I might be able to get some to you. We, we've we got a big order for one of our, our distributors that we're kind of coming out with. Actually, they came to us and they're like, listen, we love your products. We want to carry them. We just want one that's a higher price. And we're like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, $12 here and $10 here, that's great. But most of the people that come to us, they want to buy something for 25 bucks." And so we're like, well, what if we put two of these products into one package? They're like, perfect.
2: <laughs> and I'm like, all right. so." Yeah so that's uh that's where we're at with please that please don't throw me into that prior patch yeah so look, yeah i
1: will sell you the same product i have previously sold you yes but i'm going to charge you three times more for it are you happy well
0: a- actually it, it tends to be a little bit cheaper because we're only paying for one packaging instead of two separate packaging for right. two separate products uh but there, of course there's always anytime you start doing something there's all, always learning pains and you had to figure out how to how to package them together, and how to make the display look nice, and new graphics, and you know how to put these in cases, and man, there's a lot that goes into that stuff. So, but it's it's it'll be here before you know it. Uh, very happy with that. And uh, guys, if you haven't, haven't have not had a chance, check out the Live Fire Gear website. We do have a new blog on the website, very good stuff. And also, you can uh, check out on on the map to where uh, locations that sell it. Is in your area, or you can buy it directly from the website. Um, but we do—we are in, I think, 16 countries now. So uh, wherever you're at, there should be some place to uh, to buy it. And if there's not, let us know and let us know your local store, and we'll contact them to see if they can carry it for you. So that way, you can walk in the store whenever you need to pick up some uh, great emergency fire starters, and you'll be uh, set and be prepared to throw that into your kits. So it is—I I will say—it's—it's it's pretty cool. You know, more and more people are are uh, buying the product and using it. And one of the cool things is, of course, we kind of started this last winter, and um, you know we've been doing very well. But now we're kind of getting to the time where the vendors are actually taking it and they're going on vacation. And so these are people that have been selling it for us for six, eight months, and they're calling us back and like, oh man, this stuff is great. And I'm like, well, I I, I hope so. You've, you've you've bought a cubic ton of it. And like, well, yeah, you know, but we don't always get a chance to go out there and do it. So I brought this with us to the beach, and we we're, you know, we had a fire pit going. I just took this out, and it was, it was squared away, and I, it just worked amazing. I Just want to let you know. And it's like, well, oh, thanks, but it's, it's, it's kind of cool, man. It's people going out there and starting to use the product, and you hear about them using the product, and that's always really awesome. So we're pretty happy about that. So there's, there's a sponsor talk. I think the sponsors are happy. Dan, are the sponsors happy?
2: Uh, the sponsors are happy. I'm ha- yeah, the sponsors mm-hmm. are
0: happy on my side. So,
2: let's... anybody in the PA area that uh, wants to do the uh, the twenty second at the My Place Smokehouse Sportsman Show, we will have uh, demonstrations and, and bits and pieces. They can come try. Very cool.
0: I got to send you some more live fire samples if you need them. The uh, uh, I the, do the fire cord samples.
2: Yeah, um, I need more samples and. and I'll talk to you after the podcast. I may need a couple more cases. I'm starting to run out. Okay.
0: That'll work. Um, Yeah. So, Dan, let's – well, before – actually, before we go into Dan's trip, Robbie, is there anything else we want to talk to? Because once we hand over the podcast to Dan, he starts talking about his trip, we may not be able to get it back.
1: Well, I think maybe we should cover the – an email we got from uh, one of our listeners. All right. Let's do that first now. Mr. Jason uh, sent us – a two-part question um the first one says uh robbie you mentioned you got the tokes titanium cook pot with bell. i've been drooling over that for several months now but can't make up my mind if the bell would get in the way of using the pot as a cup mm-hmm. my current pot is a snow peak kettle one and the only time i use the bell is when i carve a pot hook as a demonstration for boy scouts uh he says he normally uses the Emberlite stove, which that's a good shout out to Emberlite. Love those guys. They make great product. Yeah. Uh stove for backcountry cooking over fire, which does not require the bell. Uh Jason, in reference to that tokes titanium, if you've already got that Snow Peak Kettle one, which I personally think is a wonderful pot or or container um and it's working for you, I would not buy the toaks. Uh, nothing wrong with the tokes but honestly the thing is so small i mean it's a mug the, the, the word pot really doesn't fit it is a mug it is a mug with a lid and a bell and for most applications that bell is useless um you know a, a container that small is going to boil if you just set it beside the blasted fire <clears throat> set it on top of a rock in the fire and it's going to boil uh, the the need for that bale is is almost it's almost pointless with the uh, the size of the container, especially like if you consider pouring, the container's so small that just gripping the handles allows you to pour fine one handed. You don't need a second hand to pour from a container that small. So if your Snow Peak kettle one is working for you, I wouldn't go out and spend the money on the Toques and that's just my perspective. I've got one, and honestly, you know, it it spends most of its time on the shelf. What
0: was the second part of the question?
1: The second question is more towards Dan's arena. Dan, you mentioned in the video how Kydex yes. sheath will scratch a knife. Apparently, uh, Jason here is a vegetarian, so he does not want to buy leather products. He asks, what alternative materials can you recommend worthy of a quality handcrafted knife? Ooh, he made it complicated for you, Dan. He said,
2: quality. Well, and there's, I was giving this some thought, and there's two directions you can go. Uh, One is slightly more expensive, and one is way more expensive.
1: Use the skins of vegetarians.
2: Ooh, I didn't think about that. Okay, so there's three directions we can go. Creepy. More expensive and way more expensive. Um, there is, well, there's a couple of ways you can go. One is something like fire hose or a heavy canvas. Um, I hadn't thought of that. There's some, there's some downsides to it. It's not as abrasion resistant. Um, junk can, can collect in the fibers of that, that weave. And then you can go back to scratching a knife again. Um, but it's it's a feasibility, and most leather workers can work in canvas. Uh, it's a li- it's going to be a little more time consuming for them, but it's it's a an option. Uh, you can do oddly enough uh, a gaucho style sheath where uh, the throat and the tip are metal, uh, and then the between the two are connecting. Uh, a lot of times. They did leather, actually, all the time they did, but I imagine a stiff canvas would work there, too. Uh, I have done uh, wooden sheaths and G10 sheaths before, Uh, but they're very time-consuming, and they're bulky. Uh, So they tend to be more expensive and sometimes less convenient. Although, again, because that style of sheath is on my mind, having come back from Argentina, yeah you know, there's gaucho sheaths that were made of leather that if you're willing to tuck it into the belt rather than have it as a belt loop you know, a wooden or a g10 sheath could be could be feasible
1: awesome well jason thank you for uh, your question and if anyone else has questions for the qui door well, podcast let me ask you
0: guys, let me ask you guys before we get off the topic do you think a, a high grade nylon like a nice kodora with uh, uh know with you're going to have some kind of insert maybe you just have some kind of wood insert inside of it
1: well i mean the
2: she's
1: yeah. for uh, machetes adam you know for it, back in the day a lot of them were canvas and some of the more modern ones uh it's not canvas anymore it is cador, cador. it's not yeah.
2: yeah um and to adam or robbie's point they've been doing it for machetes for a long time um you just you to have to accept that they're going to abrade pretty quickly. The Kedora, I think yeah. is far more resistant than canvas, but it pro- I guess probably one of the first things I should have asked is, what environment are you in? That's true, because if you're in a grass plains, canvas is going to be perfect. Um, if you're going through North Georgia, hookbrier, then you're going to the life of a canvas sheath is going to be greatly reduced.
1: I guess we can follow up with that later. I think these are good options. So we're going we're going to email uh, Jason in a, in a couple months to see what he went with and uh, torture him about meat. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> a good. Plan.
2: Yeah. Oh, I promise you, if he'd gone to Argentina, he'd have given up on that vegetarian stuff. <laughs>
1: well, if anyone else has questions for us, you can shoot them to us at questions at equippedtoendure dot com. There we go.
0: Alright, Dan. Well let's jump into your adventure. And thank gosh somebody's uh-huh. going on Adventures,
1: Robbie, right? Yeah, no kidding.
2: <laughs> I tried a Come different, on guys if...
1: I tried a different coffee the other day. That's the most adventurous I've yeah.
0: been. And I, I didn't get the, I got the invite late to, to go down to Argentina with Dan, so
2: Yeah, me too. Mine never yeah. came. Yeah. Oh it didn't? No. Uh here well, let me check the tracking on that. I'll get right yeah. back to you. <laughs>
1: the, the, the mail is so unreliable, huh? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, Well, hey, tell you what, Adam, I don't want you to get your feelings hurt. What are you doing on the 29th of uh, August?
0: Probably working. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now you're off. Am I? Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, I don't know then.
2: Well, mayhaps uh, there's a class you'd like to join. uh, Join us at and mayhaps we can do some some hanging out and maybe a video or at the very least cook some meat.
1: I'm down with that. And it's a camping class. It's a class that we can go to and camp at the same time. So, I'm down with that.
2: And it's maybe an hour and a half from my house.
1: Okay, only two hours and seven minutes from your house, Adam. Well, that's not bad at all. A drive in the bucket. So, please, please continue, Dan.
2: All right, and thank you for not noticing that uh, I've already invited Robbie. Oh, I, I, I haven't I, invited I, you yet.
0: I did notice. That's okay. Nope. I'm used to it. Robbie Is your found feeling the okay.
1: <laughs>
0: Fair point. Actually, Robbie already told me about it.
2: Oh, okay. Oh, you told him before you you told me.
1: I no, just... I told you first. I figured there was a better chance you'd pay for it. Well, oh, I'm not okay. stupid. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice.
1: Nice.
2: I knew there was a reason you were my favorite.
1: Hey, but Dan, don't worry. I'm going to hit E2E up for... Uh for gas money that way i can write an article on the class
0: there you go dance puppets dance yeah yeah all right it's well, robbie's world we just live in it that's right that's right so dan please give us the rundown of uh, your trip and uh you, you did some awesome uh, research
2: i did and it was it, it now please bear with me a little bit i flew in i think we got in at nine o'clock last night
0: yeah, we didn't actually so that we'll really... be able to. We were going to be able to record this podcast today, so this is actually a treat that we could get it done and not wait another week.
2: I, I was Jones, and I hadn't gotten to talk to you guys or complain
0: about stuff. We or... were going through damn withdrawal too, so don't worry. We had a, we had like a thirty forty minute conversation where we just complained about you. So huh. you were you were in our thoughts and prayers.
2: So it was like a normal podcast. It was. So <laughs> I, to be honest, I don't know where to start: food or knives. Uh, Robbie, what would you like to hear about first?
1: Uh, go to the Niles because I really think he could lament
2: on the food for days. Oh, I okay. We're going to have to go back to it because I did nearly have a religious experience. But uh, there is a huge, what we would consider cowboy culture in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, they have more cattle than people in the country. Okay. Um, and. Down there, they're called gauchos. Uh, You know, everybody's heard of the bolo or the bola. And that's where it came from is the gauchos, rather than lassoing cattle, would would throw these weighted ropes and tangle up their feet. Um, The gaucho also is a huge blade culture. Um, They had less access to firearms than their their American cousins. So it was it was all about the blade for them. Uh, another example of a culture that still has was certainly a closer connection to working knives, guys that lived by their knives and died by their knives. So it was a great opportunity for me to go down and get firsthand experience on. You can learn a lot on the internet, you can read books, you can see pictures, but until you really hold authentic examples in your hands, there's so much you don't appreciate. You know, the, the balance, how lively it is at the tip, uh, the placement of a palm swell, the texture of materials used. So it, it was a great opportunity for me to get firsthand experience with uh, with some of their blades. The first thing that I noticed uh, was how similar they are to a lot of the early trade knives. Uh, I found it fascinating that a culture separated by tens of thousands of miles were using similar styles of knives. Obviously, there's a reason for that. They work. But it was also fascinating that I had gone down, I had studied Gaucho knives and I knew a couple of the Gaucho knives but once I got down there, I realized that it was typical for a gaucho to carry four knives. uh each one uh, well so uh, everybody hears about the falcone the the large knife carried in the small of the back, and you, know, you talk to people gaucho knives, they immediately talk about the, the small the large knife tucked in the the small of the back but what they didn't talk about is and what is far less common is the and I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation here so all you spanish speakers out there I apologize just accept that uh, I'm still just
0: accept the, that you're a gringo and you yeah that my spanish the, skills are still the,
2: at the CAT equals cat level uh but the punal um which is sometimes referred to and this is the english translation uh but the The crotch knife.
0: Were you waiting for a giggle?
2: Dan,
1: Did we lose Dan? I don't know. I I think he said crotch and it's, you know. His internet just shut down.
0: (laughs) I'm going to leave this part in the podcast. Stand by, folks. All right, we
2: got Dan back. Go ahead. Okay. So you got your crotch jokes out of the way now? Yes. Okay, we're good. We we are like four years old, so hey, you know it, it's kind of fun to let yourself go.
0: Yeah, you know what you know what is you know just just a side thing. You know it's funny you get you get three or four guys out in the woods together and they instantly become eight <laughs> years old, not eight guys, eight years old. <laughs> so all right, go ahead.
2: Okay, and it's it's still worn tucked in the belt the the same way as the the Falcone, uh, but it rides in that little crease right at your pelvis. With the handle sticking out to the, to the right, which made it – it was easy to draw from horseback or sitting or standing. It was just a very convenient way to carry a knife, much like, well, you all see me carry my little three-finger. Um, and that was the workhorse of of the Gaucho. I mean, that was – the Falcone was really a, more of a defensive weapon. It was – it was long, it was frequently made from a, a broken saber or a large bayonet. So it it was not a practical using knife. That small knife that they wore up front and tucked in their belt was their, their everyday knife. Um, and then the Degas the was, which I knew very little about. Uh, it is a really thin, um, double-edged um Sorry, I'm just having brain lock. Uh, dagger grind. You know, very, very thin, talking half inch wide. And that was tucked in the boot. And that was, uh, as one guy put it, that was the 38 special, of the Gaucho. Now that was his his backup. And it was just a long, quick blade that was tucked down in the top of the boot. And then they had a, and again, there's some regional differences and there's some things have changed over time, uh, but uh, a mochila or a cuchila and I actually got to to hold a uh, God, it was hundred and fifty year old mochila, and it was interesting because it had a swept handle like a modern saber. It was straight edge, thin, it was only sharpened at the tip, and the handle swept down and away so that when you held it with the arm extended. Thumb pointing forward, it formed a nice straight line, and that was used purely as a a defensive weapon, and it was used almost like a a lance. You know, it was this this saber.
0: Now, this one this yeah. is the one that would be on the horse, stored on the horse. Yeah. Right.
2: I'm sorry, yeah, I forgot to mention that uh, that the the fourth larger knife was car- oh, was carried on the horse. Um, and it was, uh, you know, like I said, it was. It was almost like a hybrid between a saber, saber and a rapier. Uh, it was a straight blade. It was long, thin, sharp on the tip, uh, and it was not at all intended as a slashing weapon. You, From what I could understand, you drew it, extended it, and then almost like a lance uh, rode down your, your whatever your target was. At the... Uh, The punal is the knife that really fascinated me. Um, And again, there's a lot of variations depending on region and time. Uh, And the other thing that I found interesting is that even today, almost every blade used was something else before. Um, uh, Much like uh, with Western kitchen knives, the idea of a, a paring knife and a boning knife is a pretty new concept. You didn't go out and buy those blades. You used a chef's knife until it got so ground down from sharpening that it was like a boning knife. And then you bought a new chef's knife. And when the boning knife got so ground down that it was the size of a paring knife, your chef's knife was now about the size of a boning knife and you bought another chef's knife. And then you had a set of three knives. Even today, it is very much that way. The, the, I met a guy that actually forges all the way through and makes his own knives and handles. But there's also a huge culture still of reusing things. Uh, I talked to a chef uh, that his cuchilla was originally a cane knife. And it was highly prized. It was German steel. It had a great ring to it. Uh, It was actually an antique. Um, But when the the cane knife was worn down, they reshaped it. And he had two. He used one for a chopping for butchering and one for push cuts.
1: Now, I hate to interrupt. But explain, it had a great ring to it.
2: Uh, Certain steels, especially some of the carbon steels, if you flick it or just lightly hit it on something, it'll it'll ring like a bell. It'll have a high, clear resonance to it. Whereas lesser steels will will sound dull or they won't ring. And one of the... uh, one of the things that these guys do, the first thing they do is they'll pick up a blade and flick it with their thumb and see what the resonant sounds like, or with their finger rather. And that's how they'll judge the the quality of the steel. Um, I I
1: I wonder if that works with like modern, uh, stainless steels and the high end CPM steels, that type of stuff. I wonder if it would work.
2: You know, I've had mixed results, uh, it also has to do with the grind uh, and the size of the blade. Like you can pick up something like a, a Falcone is very unlikely to ring because it's a heavy blade. You know, it's like an old saber blade. Uh, I noticed the thinner blades uh, you got more of that resonance from. But to be honest, yes, I uh, I've seen it done before, but with these you could really tell the difference in different steels. So, yes, for the next couple of weeks in the shop, I will be – I will be testing that. Dan will be ringing. I also want –
0: Well, (laughs) Dan, I do – how – what was the response? I'm sure you brought some of your own knives, right?
2: Uh, Very few because of travel restrictions. We actually went through three different countries. Oh, okay. Um, So I was – it wasn't practical for me to take a lot of firsthand – Plus, I didn't want the police policia uh wondering why I had eight knives in my backpack
0: well what did you bring with you
2: uh I brought a couple of the uh, uh you know obviously i had my little three finger I take that everywhere um and several pe- i got a reaction from several people when they were talking about how the the gaucho would carry the penal, mm-hmm. and I'd draw my three finger uh and then of course I took a a long hunter down and there was just about everybody commented on the similarities between it and some of the the traditional gaucho blades.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, um, not. What's that? I
1: said, You know, not. But they commented <laughs> about the similarities. That's,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, similarities. Uh, and then I took down a. Uh, um, I took down a a Hawkins, um, which there was actually uh, one of the stores that I went into. Actually, it was the the guy, the owner's private collection. Um, There are some guys in the very Southern end uh, of the country that were making similar blades. Um, And they were, they were more modernized working blades.
0: Now, Argentina, because of its length, has a wide range of um, climates and, in kind of bioregions or whatever, did you see any any huge differences between the north or the south of the country, or what what part of the country were you at uh, specifically? Uh, I was in
2: I was in Buenos Aires. Okay, and it was interesting that uh, the, you could. I started to be able to tell what part of the country the shop owner was from by what knives he stocked. Okay, um, I didn't get. Uh, I don't have the professional's eye that someone born into the culture would know. But you could start to see some of the differences in blade shapes because, you know, the very far south is, is nearly an Arctic climate at times, and the very far north it grows corn. Uh, so, and then in between is the, the pompous, which is, you know, I think the plains of the American Midwest are a comparison, but... Imagine the plains of the Midwest, except with abundant water. I mean one of the reasons they have so much cattle and it is of such great quality is they have this well watered, magnificent grazing that goes as far as the eye can see in every direction, which is also as you'll see uh you know the gaucho never carried an axe uh the gaucho didn't really carry a machete because uh, it was. It was planes Yeah, they could spend their entire life in a terrain much like the, the Midwest, except wet. Very interesting. But the, the short answer. Uh, and you would see differences in, uh, yeah, uh, especially in lengths. Um, and I, I was not down there long enough to really start to understand what, uh, I could see the differences from one region to the next, but I've not been able to get good answers on why those differences evolved yet. And I say yet because, yes, I'm going back. When are you, when are you going back? Uh, uh, I don't know yet, but I'm definitely going back. Uh, there's uh, there was a lot that was left unlearned. Um,
1: like Robbie uh, to the, on was, a trip. Taking Robbie to a trip to the Andes was left off the.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think there are still a couple of ways to serve beef that I haven't tried. Um, and you know, to be honest, I'm not giving too much away because there's a couple of really good articles that uh, I've already roughed out. Uh, just some fascinating similarities. Um, and also in the way everything was reused because they loved Germans for steel. They love even today it's German, English, French, Swedish. And that is their preferred steel right away. Uh, I noticed very little experience with particle steel. Uh, so I have actually worked. Uh, I've got some deals with uh, craftsmen down there that we're going to do some collaborations. Uh, and I'm very excited to see how that comes out. They have Handle techniques that I really want to learn, um, and they just have they have very little experience with some of the modern particle steels. So I'm looking forward to getting some in their hands. Give uh, uh, a
1: gaucho uh, a three V knife.
2: Yeah, um, you know, or CPM 154 even, because uh, again, uh, some of their working knives, like some of those panels are. One sixteenth or three thirty seconds with nearly a full flat grind i mean, the the blade thicknesses that they're working with or it was a it was great for me to see I was really excited to see more' I've seen trade knives that proved some of my theories on thin blades, but this was for the first time I could actually pick them up yeah you know, the museum examples I've seen are and gotten measurements from it was other people. I never actually got to pick those up. Now, these were 150 year old, 200 year old working blades, and three you thirty know, seconds thicknesses, one uh, sixteenth inch thicknesses, with a significant amount of belly. And it was amazing to how lively they were in my hand, but to also see that from relatively simple carbon steels. These guys were out there living and dying by blades that were a fraction of the thickness that we use today um, and of steel with a fraction of the capability. So, you know
1: me. I have to be the fly on the ointment. How much of that, though, did they get away with because of environment? It's yeah. got to be some. As, as you mentioned they're you know they're on those planes they don't need an axe and they don't need a machete,
2: yeah, um, but they also didn't use their knife as an axe or a machete i mean they there were still campfires uh, there's still scrub out there that they had to cut down okay what did they use if they didn't have uh, an axe or a machete uh, one possibility is um, is the chuchilla. Uh, but the version that is a, a heavier chopping blade rather than the mochila, which I saw was a, as more of a saber. Uh, and it was one of the things that I couldn't get good first-hand answers on. It's one of the reasons I want to go back is I was still one or two places removed from the actual gauchos that used the knives. Yeah, you know, I was talking to makers... Um, And it's also a lot of these knives now have become somewhat ceremonial. So in some cases, some of the people I was talking to were making historically correct blades. But they were making them based on historical patterns, not on the fact that they used them. So I got to speak to a lot of very educated men, but I got to speak to very few actual users. Nobody, nobody I got to speak to actually herded cattle or spent weeks on the Pampas. Gotcha. Um, But you know, the counter is how did the, uh, how did the guys uh, during the Western expansion, once we passed the Rocky mountains, you know, they were using the same, the same trade knives. And part of the answer is for like in our region, just like we've talked about, you use a knife for knife work, and you use a hatchet or a tomahawk for chopping work.
0: So, is your next uh, goal to go into some of these more remote cattle, cattle villages and whatnot, and do some uh, some deep yeah.
2: research? Yeah, I've, uh, I'm making an arrangement for some Spanish classes. Okay. Because you know, the guy I was traveling with was uh, grew up in Panama and was. Was firsthand fluent in Spanish,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: but he wasn't. Uh, he was a knife enthusiast, but there were some translation problems on the technical side. Mm-hmm. So, um, part of my goal is to to increase my Spanish, so that between his fluency and a basic, a better understanding of my Spanish, that um, that I can get more precise answers.
0: You know, who you need to probably talk to is Joe. I know his Spanish is pretty frequent. I mean, pretty fluent, and also he talks a lot of knife jargon down there. Um, but you know, the other the other problem you're gonna have is there's always different slang for different countries. Yeah. So um, you might need to find somebody from that region who can speak. Uh, well, and there's
2: different there's different slang in the knife community. That's true. I mean, it's true.
1: And my research into those, it's been um, uh, they have they also suffer from a problem of you know what what name a knife goes by in one area within the same country won't go by that same knife or that same name in another area because it was a a different grandfather or great grandfather that passed down the names of what they were had
2: yeah i i described a falcon to to one guy and he said oh no no that's too small whereas the the first person i spoke to who, you know, he had antique examples that, that were absolutely accurate and they were that size and they were what he was basing his reproductions on. Uh, but because of the cultural differences, when I talked to the next person who was from a different region would immediately tell me, oh, that's too small. Because, you know, researching arcane uh, uh, tools should be easy.
0: I don't know if I don't know if I go so far to say arcane, but um, yeah. re- re- restoring you know historically accurate pieces it should be difficult. Yes. Uh, better word choice. Dan, if this was easy, you'd be bored of it already.
2: Yeah. So. Um, That's true. Uh, but yeah, I, I want to brush up my Spanish. I've actually already sent a message to Joe because uh, I've got a couple of contact. Uh, I now have contacts from the city who have families uh, out in the countryside. Um, so yeah, the next trip, I want to go back out onto the Pampas and get a chance to, to interview and take measurements and sketches of what they're using out there.
0: That would be a cool scenario to actually see if you can meet some of these guys and like go out with them as they work and watch them work for a weekend or whatever. The problem is is that they're, they're probably so skilled riders. And if you're not up to par with their level, you'll be holding them back a little bit. Um, you know, I was about them. to
2: say if I if I'm if I'm going to do that in two uh, two years from now, I need to start taking horseback riding lessons every day starting tomorrow. Nope, yeah. not long enough.
1: No, I'm just saying there's an easier way. Oh. What's that, Robbie? Well, if these guys spend that much time out there on those planes by themselves, pick a location, say you're going to be there, and agree <laughs> to pay for the alcohol. They'll show up. <laughs> no problem. They will come to you.
2: That's an excellent point.
1: Well,
0: Robbie, you're a skilled writer. You you could go out there and and, uh, and and hang with them.
1: I don't know if I am anymore. I used to be pretty adequate at it. I didn't. I managed not to fall off much.
2: <laughs> much. So. And of of course, uh, I picked up a couple of uh, uh There's lots of different style of bola and I picked up a couple of theirs. Which is something else I would – I'd love the opportunity is to to learn to use one from the saddle. That would be pretty cool. Um, And actually I found uh, in some of the places where I was looking at the the knives, I saw what looked like bola stones. Uh, One of the other things I learned is traditionally – there's a couple of ways to do it. But the most common is it's a carved stone and they carve them to be uh, the weights that they want them to be and then wrap them in a leather pouch Mm -hmm. and then connect that to the line. Uh, And I kept seeing these stones that were about the right size, slightly different shape. um, And they had a groove carved around them. And I kept assuming that the line was, was tied around that groove rather than put in a sack.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And apparently it's a finishing stone that uh, when they were hunting, if they had entangled something with a bola or had shot it and it wasn't, it, they needed to finish it mm-hmm. like a coup de grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than ride up and shoot it or get down off the horse, um, that stone was, it was a single stone weighed on a long cord. Okay. And as they rode up on whatever was down, they would start swinging that and use it almost like a, a morning star. Yeah. Uh, and come by and, and, and make a strike to the head. And it was a, that's how they would deliver a coup de grace. Very interesting. Yeah. And you know, once, once somebody explained it to me, it was obvious and brilliant, but at the time I I was struggling to figure out what this was for. That's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: It, it is interesting that I think the, the biggest thing was the, the lack of firearms, but the demand, the modern, the still the, the modern demand for beef, because I know that, Argentinian beef is—I mean, they are they thats thats their main export, right?
2: Well, and I—I've got to do some more research because it, I was not specifically looking into how they—I looked into gauchos, but not how cattle uh, came so plur- uh so plentiful. Mm-hmm. My understanding was a Spanish outpost uh, came in and brought some cattle in. And then either collapsed or was abandoned. And when they returned some I think it was ten years later, the pampas was overrun with cattle. That hmm. the few that had been left behind or had strayed,
0: mm-hmm.
2: the the climate was so perfect for cattle that their population just exploded.
0: And there's probably not any indigenous species, you know they, they became an invasive species for that, that you know, that area probably.
2: And then the, the gaucho culture rose around um, you know, this this explosion of foreign beef.
0: Hmm. That's pretty cool,
2: but you know, not a, a little bit different than the American West, but some similarities. You know, where the the American West people intentionally brought the cattle in to thrive. Mm-hmm. And again, i I can't uh, I can't verify the factual correctness of that entire statement. But it's it's funny that you say
0: that. I actually was we were. Uh, had a buddy of mine where we were, we were uh, going to Lowe's yesterday, picking up some wood for a project. I'm building a table. And um, we stopped by a restaurant on the way, the way back from the, the uh, hardware store. Um, and they had like a rack of lamb. And I was like, oh man, I haven't had a lamb in a while. And so I ordered a rack of lamb. And I was, like, I was like, you know, it's funny. I wasn't raised on lamb. We didn't eat it very frequently. But there's something like primal about eating lamb. It, 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 like it speaks to me. I don't know what it is. I just love it. And it's one of those things where a lot of times, in my experience, they're trying some different, you know, different animal protein for the first time, you're like, "Oh, that's different." You know, if you're, you know, venison or you know pheasant or whatever, if, if you're not used to it, but something about lamb is kind of, you know, this seems, from, you know, familiar, even though I I didn't eat it when I was young. And uh, genetic memory. Yeah, exactly. And I was, and then we were talking. He's like, "Yeah," he's like, I, "You know, I I'd rather do beef. I I'm not a big fan of lamb." And I was like, "Oh, I wonder." You know, oh, I, I assume that lamb was probably something that we ate before. You know, a lot before beef, but I wonder when beef became, you know, when, when cattle became domesticated. And so we were sitting there and jumped on Google. So get take a guess, guys, because I was actually kind of shocked by it. How long we've been domesticating beef?
2: Uh, thousand years.
0: Ten thousand years.
2: Ten that? Wow, I didn't think it was yeah, that. Yeah,
0: I didn't think it was that long either. I was shocked. Um, you know, it, but there, there, I think there is some, there's some argument there, but I think, I think five thousand years it became prevalent but we've been there's been earliest 10,000 years ago that we were domesticating cattle so very interesting very interesting but then you look at some some of the older cultures like the indian cultures they don't touch beef at all and that's like one of the oldest you know cultures that still that's still in existence you know
2: yeah um, I've, I've seen somebody tangle with a, a brahma bull before but i don't think i'd touch them either
0: <laughs> is that what it is <laughs> they're just they're just badass animals
2: yeah, well, you know, there's a religious component.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. So, yeah, absolutely, Robbie. I'm surprised you didn't jump in on that one. Thought that I thought that'd be—he's probably researching it right now, aren't you? No, you're on Google. Uh, he was on
2: mute. We missed an entire rant because he forgot to turn his microphone back on. No,
1: I did have a little unfair advantage. If you recall, I, I worked at a on a cattle farm.
2: Oh, so did you know that? Did you know that? i say you've ridden a Brahma before, haven't you?
1: I have been on a Brahma before, um, but we didn't raise Brahma. We raised Brangus, um, which were uh, basically only three eighths Brahma and five eighths Black Angus. Uh, but they could get pretty blasted big too. They, uh, of course, our our main breeding bulls were absolute teddy bears. They they only got out of their fencing for uh one thing and that was to go breed. so they they were pretty much happy to see you uh were not mean because the the only they weren't going to be abused or anything the only thing they got out for was good so if you were there you were either going to feed them or take them to some females so they were always happy to see you
0: oh is that right yeah that's pretty cool man um i don't know it's 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 interesting it is very interesting i'd be uh Make sure that's in your book report, Dan, I will. When, you, when you finish your research.
2: Well, research is never finished, but uh, – When you
0: finish your articles. I will do that. <laughs> is that fair enough? That is. So what? So so when are you going to take Robbie and I down to Argentina? That's, that's uh, the big question. I'm not question. sure
2: yet. Yeah. It depends on how if quickly – If you guys
0: want Dan to now. take us down to Argentina, you just email him at dan at com, and uh, we will have videos uploaded from Argentina.
2: We'll go out there, is there and spec- hang out with
0: some cowboys and you know, make it happen.
2: There's a specific number of knives that I have to sell before I can take you all to Argentina.
0: Vicious, vicious lies, everybody. So um, if
2: people really want the three of us to go to Argentina, then you know, the fastest way to make that happen is to buy a dogwood or two.
0: You know, Robbie, I got a joke to put in on that one, but I'm going to leave it alone. But yeah. you know Ro- Robbie can read my mind, so – uh, I don't know that you know. We might not want to all three be be in a foreign country like that, with uh, you know a bunch of awesome beef dishes and and knives. And I, I've heard that there's some some very nice drinks down in Argentina as well. We might we might. That's like the gatekeeper and the key master coming together. We might not want to you uh, know. And empanadas. Oh,
2: the, the they can do stuff with, with a Malbec grape that is just not. Uh, uh I'm struggling to find the words. I mean. Everywhere we went was a good glass of wine.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I've, and I, from what I understand, there's some really good uh pheasant and bird hunting down there as well.
2: There is, uh, there is story. There are still stories of the sky turning black,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which may or may not be also have to do with why I want to go out into the country. To, uh, so you might somebody's... actually hit.
0: You might actually hit something. Is that what you're going Ooh. for?
2: Oh man, Mister Francis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did I, Robbie, did I strike a nerve? Did you hear, did you hear that? Uh, Oh, man.
2: Uh, Mr. Francis, you might want to go shooting with me at least once. Now, uh, I have heard stories that you're an extremely skilled marksman, but I'm just saying you might want to shoot with me once before you make those statements.
0: Well, see, you know what, Dan? There's certain people that train all their lives and who are excellent marksmen. And then there's people who just come from families of gunslingers. We don't even (laughs) have to try. <laughs> it, just, it just it just uh you know it just happens so you know but i, I would love to go shooting with you dan i'm fine with that
2: uh, yeah and to be uh, actually uh, growing up with uh you know my grandfather used to train uh bird dogs mm-hmm. and it's interesting how many people can miss when the environment is just full of birds yeah uh because picking a single target Actually, gets very difficult, and contrary yes. to popular belief, even if there are so many birds that the sky turns black, um, j- randomly firing into the crowd, you very rarely hit anything. Yeah, I hear you. that you've got to train yourself to pick one target.
0: Well, you know, our generation was raised on duck hunt, so uh.
2: that's a fair point. <laughs> Except if you shoot the dog that laughs at you in this environment, they'll cut you. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That little bastard dog,
2: yeah. so all right, now, well, very- the other thing that they do very well down there is pork,
0: yeah,, um,
2: and I'll go ahead and tell you that I mean, I'm from the South, I know pork, you know we we do stuff to pork that uh you know, it, it's nearly a religious experience for some people, but i've had a I had a preparation while I was down there I have never had in my entire life. That was suckling pig, cooked confit, but finished on a grill, then shredded uh, like pulled pork style, and then the crackling skin is placed back over the uh, pulled pork meat. Did I lose y'all?
0: No, I'm, we're here. We're just okay. waiting. We're just waiting for you to <laughs> express nah. how how amazing it was.
1: I have to get off the podcast quickly. I'm starving now. Yeah.
2: It was it was like drinking a warm mug of pork. And it was so tender and moist. Um, I mean i I have never had I've never had pork done so well before in my life. Dan, the warm, this, soft, and then you get to get a little bit of the crackling skin.
1: This may be the first time in my life I can say this. But someone just described a really great pork dish that I've seen pictures of and want really badly, but described it in such a way that I didn't want any part of it. A warm cup of pork. Yeah. You
0: I, I know what? I'm glad that you said something because for a second I went, huh?
1: You thought it was just you? No. Yeah. Uh, I was trying
2: to convey how tender and moist it was. I mean it, – it, it, it was moist in the mouth and then just the the meat just uh, fell apart.
0: Just just say it was succulent and delicious. Succulent. Oh, yeah. oh
2: it was. It's succulent doesn't cover it.
0: I it's can just see that on
1: tender.
2: <laughs> I can just
0: see that on a on a shirt. A warm mug of pork. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Somebody make a meme of that and, and email it to Dan. I will yeah. post that. That needs to be the the uh, thumbnail for this podcast. Uh, just a warm Dan's face smiling with a coffee cup. Would you like a warm mug of pork? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: oh, continue, Dan. Continue.
2: Um, but it, it, I mean, I've just I've never had pork done so well. It was phenomenal.
0: Hey, what Adam. Are, what did the family think?
2: Um. Well, you know, Beth. Uh, Beth has a very well educated palate. Okay. And she, she was as pleased as I was. She even got a little adventurous on a couple of, uh, a couple of menus. Um, But coming back, we both admitted that the entire trip, we did not have a meal that wasn't amazing. That's awesome. Uh, and just the, the, not just the places, because you know, my buddy has been down there a lot. Um, we did some research. There were some restaurants we knew we were going to go and, I mean, in the states, anywhere in the world, there's some restaurants where you can plan it out, and you just know the meal is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. But just places that we stepped in off the street, like we were ready for lunch, and this place looks interesting, and it was amazing.
0: Just like kind of the hole in the wall dives were the, the place to go.
2: Well, and the the fascinating thing was a lot of the traditional uh, preparation. You'd have these big store, uh, the you'd have these big glass windows, storefront windows, mm-hmm. and that was the kitchen. So you would look in, and two things that struck me. One is everywhere we went had wood-fired cooking. Mm -hmm. And and one style was it was a circular uh, pit with spits stuck in vertically around the pit. Okay. And whatever was being cooked, whatever animal was butterflied or just butchered in such a way that a large, flat piece – and when I say large piece, I mean – three feet by 18 inches, two feet, uh, was on these skewers. And every so often they would rotate the skewer on the vertical axis and splash seasoning on it. Hmm. Uh, and then they had, uh, their grills were also interesting. The flavor bars, uh, were V's, uh, you know, the, the heat exchange. Yeah. But they were so that the, the opening faced up and they, they were tilted. So they were higher in the back. So all the whatever grease and juices dripped out of the meat were caught and then channeled down to a reservoir in the front of the the grill and then caught in a basin. So uh, what Robbie and I grew up with is being called drippings or pot liquor.
1: Mm-hmm. Use that and that was
2: saved for yeah. – yep, for basting, for doing sauces um, – you know so imagine a a sauce that starts with you know two cu- uh, imagine starting a roux with two cups of beef drippings hmm. or two cups of uh, of pork drippings i mean the it it allowed such a rich rich f- pure flavor
0: of that make a good gravy a Yeah. Mug, so that 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 you would pour into your mug of pork um
2: Adam. yeah i i would have that as a that would be the shot of uh, uh on the side
1: you 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 know what you get when uh, the Folgers company decides to do bacon? What's that? A warm mug of pork.
0: <laughs> I get to see like Dan, like he's got a flannel on and like like his hands are wrapped around the mug and there's just steam there. He's, like, mm, he's sipping it.
2: Warm mug of pork. Hey, you know the what? Best,
1: the best part of waking up
2: is <laughs> pork in your mug. Mor- your mug. You yeah. know why this doesn't bother me? Why's that? Because I got to eat that and you didn't. That's all right.
1: <laughs> you know, um, we're ne- we're never gonna let that go.
2: Yeah, no. I'm, I'm I, at this point. I just gotta own it.
1: Yeah, it's I'm my- having a t-shirt made. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so it's it's it, and we're never gonna reference what podcast
0: this is from 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 now on. We're just gonna say more mugged pork. Yeah, and people have to get
2: with the program. And you know? the – Almost like a religious litany, and the, pro- the proper response is, yes, and I got to have some, and you haven't.
0: <laughs> that happens. It happens. Well, Dan, you, it sounds like you had a great time. Anything else that's remarkable that you want to you speak to before we kind of close stuff out?
2: Uh, two things. One, uh, I had dry-aged T-bone that was 100 days dry-aged from – it was prime uh, – Argentine beef that was then dry aged for a hundred days and then perfectly prepared on an open wood fire. Mm. And amazing. It was a religious experience. Nice. Um, did did the kid, did the kids go with you or just you and Beth? They did not. They, uh, they went to summer camp. Oh, okay. Uh, the kids went to summer camp and the dogs went to, uh, I found a, a, uh, a great kennel that that works with working dogs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so the dogs can be the dogs, and people don't teach them bad habits.
0: Yeah, that's and, the most important part.
2: Yeah, you know, it's the first time I'm not. I w- it's the first time I was not concerned about leaving the dogs with somebody other than a close friend.
0: Yeah, that I- that is a uh, a constant issue with us. So. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but. and uh, Amber Beach is the the name of the kennel up here. If anybody needs needs one that they lo- that that they can trust, awesome. Uh, and then the other thing was the people were were amazing. Um, uh, the uh, English is kind of becoming an international business language,
0: mm-hmm.
2: so a lot of places learn it, but it was really amazing how many people were just patient with me as I tried to struggle through my, my preschool Spanish. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the wait staff, a lot of the people that you expect to be a little short tempered cause they're in a hurry. They got stuff to do, mm. how patient and open and understanding they were. Um, some of the, uh, some of the craftsmen who, I mean, I, I was asking them 10,000 questions as much because, I wanted to know about the product as that I was actually there to buy something mm-hmm. and the number of people that just sat down and really took the time to to talk to me and work with me it was it was a great experience
0: very cool now um how was the conversion rate in you know down there for the dollar versus whatever their currency was
2: very strongly in my favor okay uh the official exchange rate was uh 9 to 1 okay Oh, uh, I could afford to eat down there. But on the street, it was significantly higher. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I get the impression that there's a pretty significant gray market. Yeah. Um. So if you – in some places, now some – especially some of the larger places were absolutely by the book. Uh, some of the, the – on the street side, it was uh, one price for – standard exchange like if you say if you're using a card it -hmm. would be one price if you're using argentine pesos it would be another price and then if you're using american dollars it was a very significantly different price
0: and so like give us
2: a a number example um i may or may not have seen exchange rates uh with vendors at 14 to 1 Mm -hmm. um and if that's the exchange rate you're getting From him, you know he's getting that or better somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I was very wary of that sort of thing because I don't know what the legalities were. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder wonder why that is. I mean – Well, in a lot of countries – Is it it like a tax when they convert it over? Uh, I think some of it was the difference of paying in cash and credit was – may have been taxes. Um. You know, just, like some, just like some people down here, uh, like contractors and stuff, uh, if they get paid in cash, they don't report it, so they'll, they'll give a lower price. Um, and then some of it, I know that some countries will set an exchange rate, but it's arbitrary. It's, you know, it's not the real exchange rate. Uh, you know, at one point, I think China said the exchange rate from the yen to the dollar was equal but that's not at all what it was trading for on the markets.
0: And how much was your uh, flight? Was it pretty pricey to get down there?
2: Uh, it was, um, you know, with, uh, the combination of Beth traveling so much for work, we have an enormous amount of frequent flyer miles. Um, so it, it offset the cost. And because of that, we, we were able to fly business going down. Um, which seemed a little extravagant to me until I realized that we were doing 15 or 16 hours in the air because we flew, uh, uh we flew from Newark to Panama and then from Panama to Argentina. Um, but And yeah, the whole, the,
0: the whole flight was 15 hours?
2: Uh, I believe so with a, a three hour layover at each stop.
0: Oh, layovers are the worst.
2: Yeah. Well, and you need, um, the advice that I've gotten and it seems to be proven out is on international flights less than three hours and you'd risk your bags, not making the connection. Oh really? Yeah. Because every time you cross a border, uh, they may not get opened and inspected, but yeah, there's a, there's going to be some, the bags, you know, it's not like in America where you just grab the bags off one plane and throw them in another. Yeah. Um, And depending on the airport the you know, the mechanism may be, taking them one at a time, uh, putting them on a a flatbed trailer, taking them to be inspected one at a time, and then taken to the – and held somewhere until the next plane is ready, and then one at a time.
0: You know what? I've never – yeah, I've never country hopped before, so that's interesting that you say that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've I've always gone directly to whatever country I was going to, and then if I went anywhere else, it was you know by land or sea.
2: well and to be fair, the, the layover in Panama coming back was three hours. The layover going down was about three days. Oh, okay. Okay. The guy I was traveling with uh grew up in Panama. His father was uh was in the military in the uh, Panama Canal zone, and his mother was Panamanian. Uh so we spent uh we spent a couple of days hanging out with him. Matter of fact, uh I got to go down and check out the Panama Canal.
0: Pretty impressive, right?
2: I've got an engineering background. I understand how all of that works. I mean, at least the concepts, you know, I have read, I've actually read books, if not stories on what went into manufacturing it. I had an idea of of, until you see it, it's, I was watching hundreds of thousands of tons of ship and cargo being moved 20, 25 feet in elevation with nothing but water pressure. No pumps, no hydraulics, no lifts, no pulleys. You know, nothing but two sets of locks and some valves, and they were moving. You know, I'm talking the freighters with uh, car- cargo containers stacked, you know, fifteen high on the deck, plus whatever's in the hole. Uh, they'd get towed into the. Uh, they call them mules because when it was originally built, they were mules. But now they're they're basically train engines. Would tie they come through a lake, and they tie onto these train engines, and they would pull them into the canal or into the lock. Because in some places, you know, we're talking a foot or two of clearance on either side for these ships. And they close the doors and open a set of valves, and the water runs out, and it slowly lowers the ship you know, twenty five feet. To the elevation of the next lake, the doors open up and the the mules pull it out clear. And it was interesting because the mules in the back had some slack in the line. And as they got to the end of the lock, they'd almost slingshot the ship clear of the lock before it took over its own steerage. But again, we're talking hundreds of thousands of tons with nothing but water valves. And they're moving the ships in maybe ten minutes, uh, and they are now building a, a another set of locks that will uh, handle super carriers and uh, you know this the the largest cargo ships.
0: Now, in in forgive you my so when
2: those open, we're talking about. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I said we're just talking about we're talking about a set of locks that will raise and lower. US aircraft carriers was nothing but water pressure. It's
0: pretty cool. And and the uh Panama owns that now, right? That transfer happened a, a long it time does. ago. It right? does. The
2: original agreement uh well, actually fairly recently. So apparently originally there was no Panama. Yeah. Uh what are now the Panamanians wanted independence and America wanted uh a a shipping way through their, through the isthmus of Panama. So the agreement was, uh, we build, we finance and build, uh, the Panama canal through the isthmus and we get to keep it. And in return, we park a battle fleet, uh, off the coast so that Columbia understands that they're now an independent country. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I think it was in the last 15 years or so, uh the U.S. gave uh, gave a gift of the Panama Canal uh, to the, the country of Panama.
0: Yeah, I knew that. I mean, I know it's happened in our lifetime, but I just couldn't remember the exact details.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: well, Dan, I, I want to ask a really important question about your trip to
2: Panama. Yeah. Did you get a hat? I did not. <laughs> uh, it turns out, you know, hats are very particular, especially when you have my build, and I did not have time to have one made, and most of the ones that I tried on, the ratio between broom and, and crown of the hat, which just, just not flattering to me. Um, however, I did get a couple of masks. Um, there is a... Uh, it's a celebration that has roots similar to to Halloween down there, mm-hmm. and they are uh, some of the, the indigenous Indians weave uh, these beautiful uh, masks uh, based on on animals in the area, and they're large and ornate, but they're woven out of uh, out of plant fiber, so they're very light. And um, you know, my my buddy's uh, his mom's side of the- family uh, has some very direct lineage in the area. And he was able to take me to some markets where they had some, some pretty authentic examples. Very cool. Uh, so that was my, uh, that was my one treasure from uh, Panama that and a mild sunburn. Uh, and some mojitos. I, I had a few mojitos. I couldn't imagine. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> I know. It's shocking. Um, also had uh, surprisingly enough some of the best sushi I've had in my life really um that is
0: that is kind really of surprising
2: fantastic. to me uh, both Beth and uh, the guy we were traveling with have spent significant time in Japan and they both agree that it was outside of Japan it was the best sushi they had ever had um, but what's, what's the connection what's, Hanamazi, the
0: ne- what's the connection to the culture there I wonder
2: uh it's less the connection to the culture and more uh, raw materials. Uh, Panama is a huge fishing community, culture. Um, And we were right on the coast. So we were, we were eating sushi from fish that was swimming hours ago. Um, Matter of fact, uh, Chilean sea bass comes from that area. So, you you know, again, fish that was hours out of the water was being served to us.
0: That's awesome. Now I want some sushi, Robbie. Me too. Yeah, I I've had a cup of coffee and a scoop of yeah. peanut butter for breakfast. Dan So this is this is very mean of you. I hope
1: you understand. And we all know oh, that, well, Ro- that Rob- case, and we all know that Robbie only eats every other day. I actually have beans on the stove cooking right now for red <laughs> beans and rice. But...
2: Uh, then you you probably don't want to hear about the cheese souffle or the uh, the empanadas, do you?
0: I will we'll reach – I, we'll I will – yeah, I will reach out with the force and choke you, Dan.
2: Hey, Dan, <laughs> why don't you sit down and
1: have After a, the empanadas uh, I
2: ate, it would be worth it.
1: You just sit down over there and have a warm cup of pork and be quiet. <laughs> yeah, a warm mug. Hey, <laughs> a warm I've mug. had
2: it and you haven't.
0: Uh, well, I think that's going to wrap up uh, Dan's uh, you know, culinary hour on the E2E podcast. Um. But Dan, that's that's an awesome trip, man. And uh I'm happy that you guys had a good time and had a safe had safe travels. And uh in all in all truthfulness, I'd love I'd love to go out and do something like that. That'd be really cool. The wife and I have been talking about getting out and doing some trip here. We haven't gone on a trip since kids would have been born, like a big one like that. Um so that would be something that, that sounds pretty fun.
2: Yeah, it, to be fair, that was uh this is how amazing my wife is. That was uh, my knife research trip was our fifteen year wedding anniversary. Wow.
0: Yeah, I might want to keep her around, Dan.
2: Oh yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Keep her around. I'm just worried about her replacing me.
0: Well that you know, you you should be worried about that. That should that should keep you up at night. It does. Yeah. When is she gonna figure it out? (laughs) I know that she's smarter than this.
2: (laughs) Well you know how every superhero has has their fatal flaw? Yeah. Superman has kryptonite. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Beth's uh, one flaw is a, is her ability to pick men.
0: Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> you that you've that you've, cap- that you've capitalized on.
2: I am. I am like Lex Luthor to her Superman. Nice. Very
0: nice. So good
1: stuff. Well, Robbie, is there anything else before we uh, shut down the show? No. Send us more emails and uh, show ideas or ask questions, make complaints. We love to hear all of them. Make sure you send the completes to Robert Oliver
0: at Equiptoendor.com. Or just Robert at com. Yep. So uh, yeah, send them to Robert Oliver. Yeah. They'll that go through. Man, oh man, so, somebody out there is gonna buy that domain and send us a link. Picture <laughs> picture of Dan with a mug, Dan's face superimposed with a mug of pork. Like ribs sticking out of the mug.
2: now, um, that, now that you mention it, I've got to check and see if Whoop Your Dead is uh Oh man, I bought, you yeah. know,
0: I forgot about that.
2: Oh, you want me to send you the meme? I captured it before it got pulled down. Oh gosh,
0: I'm <laughs> sure you did. I
1: do, I do. Please send it to me.
2: All right.
0: I haven't actually heard anything else about that. Is
1: there any any news about that out in the world? I haven't, I haven't run across anything recently.
0: Uh, no, that's I know that. the last article I saw. Well, I know you did that article. Was there ever a follow up to that article or any other news on that? I do not know.
1: I will check into
2: it. I've been out of the country.
0: Excuses, Dan. Build bridges to nowhere. So Alright guys. Well thanks again for listening and tuning in and we'll be back next week. Hopefully uh Dan won't be on vacation again and we can continue to the podcast properly. Um but you never know, because it is Dan. And you know, Robbie, we need to we need to cancel the podcast one day Because we go on vacation.
1: I haven't been on vacation in years, dude.
0: I know, man. Well hey, you gotta come back up to the new spot and get some we'll get some stuff going. Yeah, that
1: does sound fun. So
0: all right guys, thanks again for tuning in. If you guys have any questions or comments, you can email us at podcast and we really appreciate you guys uh swinging by. Check out the website at www.equippedindoor.com. dot com. Become a member today, some great content, uh extra contests and stuff like that, um some news and, and whatever. And then make sure to check out our sponsors at Dogwood Customize at dogwoodcustomized.com. dot com, dealers at edgeworks. And uh, Arizona Custom Knife and also live fire gear. You guys take care. Be safe out there. And remember, if you're not always prepared, you're never prepared. Thanks.